So what would you do if you had $50,000 to invest in a property and you didn't know what to do with it? Is it enough? We're going to talk about that on this episode of Real Estate Revenue. Hey everybody, welcome to Real Estate Revenue. I'm your host, Paul Airy, and in this episode, we're going to talk about what to do if you only have a little bit of money. So this week, a friend of mine called me and she said that she had some money in the bank. She had about $50,000 and she wanted to know if that was enough to buy some commercial real estate. She wanted to do something with it. She wanted an income property and uh, she wanted my opinion. So I gave it to her. (laughs) Anytime anybody asks me my opinion, I'll give it to them. So uh, uh, we're going to talk about three types of property three types of commercial property that you can buy that will produce income that you can get into for $50,000. You might be surprised at how many properties out there you can get into for that, uh, depending on how creative you want to be. But we're not even really going to get into that very much today. We're just going to talk about the properties. So property number one is a single-tenant office building. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know that's one of my favorite properties, and I've talked about it before, and uh, we're going to talk about it again. So uh, single-tenant office buildings are not expensive. Uh, they're, they're inexpensive compared to other types of properties, and inexpensive considering the amount of cash flow that they're going to give you. And there is a really nice group of business types to be tenants in these buildings. And that is one of the big things you want to look at when you buy a property. Who's going to occupy it? What kind of tenant are we going to put in here? Think about places that you might visit that are in a single tenant building. Think about insurance agents. A lot of them are in single-tenant office buildings. And in fact, a lot of them are in one particular type of single-tenant office building, and I'm going to tell you about here in a minute. Uh, Hair salons, same thing. They're in uh, a lot of single-tenant office buildings, and in a lot of this one type of single-tenant office building that I'm going to talk about. Uh, Dentist offices, um, nail salons, uh, even doctor's offices. Lawyers' offices, law offices. Now, these people are stable tenants. They usually pay their rent. Um, They can't work out of their house, usually. Uh, I mean, think about it. Hair salons, nail salons, dentist's offices, doctor's offices, they can't work out of their homes. Uh, Maybe at one time in the past they used to be able to, but you can't do that anymore. So they have to have an office. 
and those offices, those those tenants, once they get in an office or in a space, they don't like to move. It's expensive for them to move. Think about what all goes into a dentist office. Specialized plumbing and electricity. They have to channel through the concrete floor or whatever floor is there to run specialized plumbing and electricity to every one of these cubicles where there's a dental chair. And that costs a lot of money. And when you go to take that out and then move to a new place and do it all over again, it's very expensive. They even have to have special water hookup with the city. Uh, it's a, what is it, a backflow preventer, I believe. And it's not real expensive to do that, but it's just a hassle. And the city has to come out and inspect it like once a year. And, and uh, you know, if it's not working right, you can't open for business and that kind of thing. So, and the reason I know about this is I bought an old dentist office that used to be a house, turned it into a dentist office, the dentist retired, and then I bought it and made it into my office, my real estate office. So uh, I had to go in and take all that stuff out. So it's very expensive for them to move. And the same with a doctor's office. Think about exam rooms. There's a sink in every room. Rooms are small. They gotta they have to go in and build out these exam rooms. Usually the landlord will pay for some of that, but they don't pay for all of it. And the tenant's gonna pay for some of that. So they don't want to have to move. They don't want to have to keep redoing their office. Um Hair salons, same way. Specialized plumbing for hair salons. They have to have really good electricity in hair salons. People don't think about that, but blow dryers, curling irons, any other kind of electrical contraption that they use to do hair with, um, has to be uh, has to be put at every station, every every cubicle. Some of them are set up with cubicles. Some are have private rooms. Uh, all that stuff's got to be wired specifically for um, the the salon and specialized plumbing, shampoo bowls. Um, if they do nails in the hair salon, they have to have those uh, pedicure things. I don't know. I've never been for a pedicure, so <laughs> I'm sure you're happy to know that. But I've never been for a pedicure. But they have uh, those, it's like a little sink you put your feet in, you know. They have to have plumbing going to that too. And uh, uh, so these people are great because they don't like to move. They don't want to go anywhere. And for like insurance agents and uh, lawyers and dentists and doctors, there's a location recognition with them. Their, their clients are used to coming to that one spot and uh, they don't want to move. They're afraid they're going to lose some of their customer base and they will when they move. You know, what's interesting is if somebody uh, has a hair salon and that hair salon moves to a new location and some other hair salon comes in and takes over the old space, they will get some of the other guys, customers, some of the people that have been coming there to the other salon, will come to, they'll come to the same one just because it's in the same building, even though it's a different, different set of people. And, uh, it's interesting how that works, but some people have more of a loyalty to the location than they do to the person that's doing their, providing their service. So property type number two, this will be properties that have a business component 
integrated into the property. A good example of that is self-storage facilities. Self-storage is a business. And there are a lot of different kinds of businesses like the, uh, properties like that. So uh, think about self-storage, RV and boat storage, uh, car washes, hotels, uh, RV parks. Now, some of those properties you're not going to get with $50,000 unless you're just really creative and, and really know how to work the system. But uh, just for the beginning investor who's never bought anything before and is looking to buy their first property, self-storage is a good, a good opportunity. Now, a lot of self-storage properties, that's a very popular asset class. They're very, they are getting very expensive. However, some of the smaller ones and the older ones are still fairly affordable. Don't be afraid of buying uh, a small storage facility or an older one. Uh, they still get rented. They still get cash flow. And there's usually an upside potential there. There's usually a, an opportunity for you to either add on to the property later, add more spaces, or raise the rent. A lot of times those are below market value. Uh, you can upgrade the property over time. But here's the good thing about a property that has a business component integrated into it. You're buying a business. You can get SBA financing. And SBA financing can provide you with 90% financing. So in certain cases, you will not have to put up more than 10% down payment. So if you have $50,000... You can get a you can get a five hundred thousand dollar property. You can get a fairly decent storage facility for five hundred thousand dollars if you look in the right places. There are a lot of mom and pop operations out there, and when they get ready to retire, they sell off. A lot of times, they'll do seller financing, or they will be your bank for you. Uh, a lot of times, uh, they'll give you a good price. You can go through SBA and get your ten percent down and and uh, buy at a good price. Uh, they may do some, uh, you know, either when I say seller financing, I'm talking about maybe not necessarily all the financing, but maybe part of it. Uh, you could even find one that's more than $500,000, say it's $700,000, and they're willing to, they're willing to finance $200,000, and you can go get your SBA financing and put up the 10% for the other $500,000. So, um, uh, that is an option, and those properties, uh, that business is a very recession-proof business. Uh, not totally, but it is. Uh, it withstands bad economic times very well. Uh, you have people who are downsizing. People are going to be moving to smaller homes, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Uh, they're going to be. Uh, they're going to have. I mean, let's face it. Most Americans have way too much crap. Even when, uh, even when they're not forced to downsize, even when they're just living in their normal house, they get too much stuff. They get a storage unit. They just because they don't want to let go of it for some reason. And uh, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thing to look at. I'm, I'm right at this moment. 
reason I've been taking so many trips in the last, oh, the last uh, two months, uh, we had, so my mother passed away in November, which is, uh, this is August. So, and my brother uh, had been living in her house for years. She was in assisted living and he was living in her house. And, uh, and then he died in May. So we've had, uh, my sister and I are going through all the things in that house. 53 years worth of my mother's and my parents' stuff and my brother's stuff added on top of that. And, um, having to get rid of stuff. And there's, there were things in there that, uh, probably should have been gotten rid of a long time ago. And, you know, a lot of people just put that stuff in storage. They just can't let go of it. And, you know, I had trouble letting go of some of that stuff when we were clearing out the house, but I finally just had to say, you know, I can't keep every childhood memory I have and I can't keep every, every little sentimental thing that, you know, or I'll end up with, with all that stuff in my house. And then, you know, somebody else will have to go through the same thing and it'll just grow over every generation. Uh, but people do that. And that's why we have such a healthy storage business in this country. People love their crap and they don't want to get rid of it. Good times are bad. Self-storage is a good business to own. RV and boat storage is even better, in my opinion. Uh, I live in a county where there are 169 HOAs at the last count that I made. None of those HOAs allow you to have an RV or a boat on your property. So what are you going to do with it? Well, you got to put it in storage. Well, all the all the boat and RV storage places are full in this county. And they're building more of them, but as soon as they build them, there's a waiting list by the time they finish. So RV and boat storage is it's a great, great thing to have. And people pay their rent on those places because those, those um those RVs are expensive. It's like buying a house and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to lose it. So they're going to pay their rent. So the third type of property that you can buy with $50,000, and this is one of, believe it or not, this is one of my favorites. Even though you have heard me say how much I do not like residential properties, this is an exception. And I'm talking about short-term rentals, Airbnb, Verbo, whatever. Uh, whatever services out there, short-term rentals are uh, the exception for me for residential properties. There is a huge market for it for one reason or another, for whatever reason. Um, if you are, maybe you're just sick of the decline in uh, hotels service, and it has declined a lot. Their service has declined a lot in the last couple of years uh, because of the pandemic. Um, I travel a lot and I spend a lot of nights in hotels and their service that they provide has gone way, way downhill. And the sad thing is their prices have not gone down. <laughs> and I feel cheated. I don't know about you when you stay in a hotel, but when I stay in a hotel, I feel cheated. 
And if you stay, if you stay for like three nights, they ask you, well, do you want one day of, of maid service, of cleaning service, housekeeping? And you say, yes. So last time I stayed in one, I said, yes, I would love that. Well, they only came in and did about half of the work. They didn't make the beds. They didn't, they took away some of my towels, my dirty ones, but they didn't bring me new ones. And, uh, they didn't, I mean, they didn't clean anything really. All they did was, was, uh, do the towels that they just took some of my towels and didn't leave me any new ones. That's part of the reason Airbnb has gotten so big. Uh, I heard, oh, it was one of these, um, I can't remember which one it was now. It was a, an Airbnb expert that, uh, I believe it was Rob Avasolo on uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. I hope I didn't pronounce his name wrong. I think it's Rob Abasolo. He um, he's a big Airbnb guy, and he knows his stuff. And he was talking about uh, that on the latest uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. And I believe it was him. He said that uh, Airbnb needed something like a million new hosts. In the next year, that's a big opportunity. And to me, when you take a house and you rent it out like a hotel, and you have a cleaning service, and you have it fully furnished, and and uh, you provide the ser- same services a hotel provides, you've turned that house into a commercial property. In my opinion, now it may not act like one when it comes to lending. It doesn't act like one when it comes to appraisals, but in my opinion, uh, owning one is a good good investment to make as long as you make the right purchase. Now that's the trick. You got to buy the right house in the right location, and uh, sometimes it doesn't even need to be a house. There are people out there who will buy land in uh, in a very nice place, in a place that people like to go for. Uh, uh, weekend getaways, you know, short vacations and they'll put up teepees and yurts, which is a big canvas, round canvas structure. Uh, and these teepees are big. I mean, they have a, you know, they'll put a queen size bed in them and an air conditioner and, and, you know, a rug on the floor and have a, have a, a wood floor and, and so they're, they're really big and they're nice and, but they're not very expensive. They're like, uh, you know, $4,000 or so for one of these teepees and they will get booked up. They'll, they'll book up for a hundred dollars a night or more. And, um, you know, they'll even use, uh, small RVs and I've even, I saw one, uh, it was a small RV parked with a deck built over it. So you had stairs going up and you could sit on the deck above the RV. And I thought that was pretty creative. Um, so things like that, uh, those are short-term rentals. And you can have, you know, if you have five acres, you can have several of those on one property. And I, you know, it's just like having a little hotel, in my opinion. Um it's a wonderful business, I believe, to be in. And since I have stayed in them myself, I used to work in healthcare, 
And uh, I was a temp. I was a nuclear medicine tech, and I used to travel around to uh, different places to work. And uh, uh, I stayed in a short-term rental in Boston for five months. And the agency that put me there paid for it. So that is one place to get short-term rentals. Put them next to a hospital. If you can get one next to a hospital, you can get these temporary. Hospitals hire all kinds of temps. Nurses, uh, x-ray techs, nuclear medicine techs, uh, um, ultrasound techs, doctors. Uh, everybody that works in a hospital in, in any kind of a healthcare position, they have temps for them. All the way up to doctors. And they will put them in one of these places, and they'll pay. Uh, they'll pay your full amount. I mean, you don't even have to get a di- give them a discount. They'll they'll book you up for thirty days, sixty days, ninety days, uh, the, whatever the length of that contract is. They will book it for the entire contract. And normally, these these temp agency contracts will go for thirteen weeks, which is you know a little over ninety days. So that is a gold mine for short-term rentals. And uh, and sometimes you have business travelers, too, doing the same thing. They'll stay in for 30 days at a time, you know, if they're doing some consulting job or, uh, you know, project managers will come and, and have to stay somewhere. And they don't want to stay in a hotel. They want something like that. So, uh, so short-term rentals, great opportunity, especially if you can find the right properties. And even... With those, you don't even always have to buy the properties. There are people out there teaching you how to go and rent somebody else's house and with the landlord's permission, make it an Airbnb and uh, do short-term rentals on it and make a profit. So you don't necessarily even have to buy the property. You just have to have the landlord's permission and the guts to do it. So to me, it's something like that. That would take some, that would take some guts, but, uh, you know, there is, before you get into that, there, there are entire courses out there on Airbnb. I don't have one. So I do have a course it's on commercial real estate investing and it's part of a membership. It's part of a membership site at realestaterevenue.com. And, uh, that membership site has the eight week investing course. It has, weekly coaching calls with me where you can ask me questions and I'll, I'll give you uh, my opinions on things and advice and, and coaching on real estate and um, all kinds of new content coming up. And it has a community where you can uh, uh, discuss with each other and where you can, if you have money to lend, you can post that. If you want to borrow money, you can contact those people that have money to lend. If you have properties for sale, you can post that. And if you're looking for properties, you can discuss whatever you want pertaining to real estate on that community. And that's all included in that membership site. So that's about it for this week on Real Estate Revenue. Hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll be back next week with another exciting episode about commercial real estate investing. 